0: You're listening to From Woke to Work, the anti-racist journey. My name is Kamala Avila-Salmon, and I gotta be real with you. A black square on your Instagram does not make you an anti-racist, but there is a path. Join me as I guide you from becoming aware of racial injustice to actually doing something about it. Whether you're an ally ready to take action or just a Black person looking for someone else to answer all those ally questions, you're in the right place. It's time to go From Woke to Work. Hey guys, welcome back to From Woke to Work, the anti-racist journey. I'm your host, Kamala Avila salmon and this is it. So our journey together, at least this part of it, is coming to an end. Now that we've fully unpacked the anti-racist journey from the well-worn levels of awareness, sympathy, and empathy to the lesser explored levels of effective reflection, allyship, and anti-racism, and even took a detour to talk about what now and where do we go from here, I want to end with FAQs. If you've listened to us before, you know that our FAQ acronym is a little different. These are not just frequently asked questions, though they are. They are also frequent ally questions. These are the questions that I've heard a lot in my time cultivating intentional conversations about race and racism. And when you're learning something new, it's totally okay and normal to have questions. In my opinion, having a lot of questions means that you're really engaged. At least it can mean that. Sometimes we know that questions can function as excuses not to take action as reasons why it's just too hard or it's too complicated or it's not practical. Examples of some of these less helpful questions include, I mean, I know we need to talk about black issues, but what about, insert other group here? Or don't you just think that white people face just as much racism today as black people? No, I don't, and you don't really think that either, but we can spend time talking about why. But in today's episode, I want to focus on genuinely offered, highly constructive questions. These are the ones that come from people who really want to do the work and just need a little bit of direction or someone to bounce ideas off of to figure out how to do it. And for this discussion, I invited back a few of our amazing guests from past episodes to help me unpack some of the best questions I've gotten so far. So I want to welcome back some of our faves. Jovian Zane, the powerhouse who kicked us off in the awareness episode and set us on our way, Shailen Simmons, who helped us sort through the importance of empathy, and Terry Javon, who joined us for an amazing discussion on allyship. Welcome back, ladies. How are you feeling today?
1: Good. (laughs) Ready to get into these questions.
0: Listen, you already know that I don't love a long lead-in. I just like (laughs) to get right to it. So let's just jump in. FAQ number one goes a little something like this Hey, Kamala, what should I do if I get feedback that I've done or said something that a Black person says was racist? Should I try to explain what I really meant? Should I seek more opinions? Should I tell them that actually they're the racist for calling me one? See how I slipped a bad answer in there just to (laughs) see if you're paying attention? Jovian. Let's start with you. What should I do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. You should not do the last thing that Mm -hmm. Kamala said, which was spin it back to said Black person and tell them that they're actually the racist. I invite people into this kind of framing with that question. We know that there is intent and then there's impact. And our intentions don't always meet our intended impact. But the impact is still real. Right. And so imagine if, Terry, I just walked up to you and I, you know, was trying to scoot over in line a little bit and I stepped on your foot. You don't actually care that I was just trying to step over in line. You actually may acknowledge the fact that, like, yo, you stepped on my foot, though. My foot hurts. And so after I've stepped on your foot, what you wouldn't want me to say is what You're, you've got big feet. And that's the problem anyway. Like your feet are always in the way everywhere <laughs> yes. I go. He's like your feet are bigger than mine. And that's why I stepped on them. No, what you're looking for in that moment is the acknowledgement of what happened, the acknowledgement of the impact of the actions. And so, you know, for some folks, they would appreciate an apology immediately. For other folks, they may appreciate in that moment just the acknowledgement that, okay, I'm sorry. What I said clearly didn't have the impact that I wanted it to have, but it did have a negative impact. So I would like to course correct and move forward, right? So, with the heart of the heart, That would be more connected to the place of getting to honesty, to connection, to a place of grace, to reconciliation. We've got to first acknowledge the impact of our actions. So that's what I would tell someone. Start with sitting in it like you did something wrong. And that is okay. We all make mistakes. But if you're more concerned about being right than getting it right, you will continue to make mistakes and sit in it in a way that doesn't move the work forward.
0: So good. Being less concerned about being right than we are about getting it right.
1: Getting it right. Yep.
0: And, and that's a constant learning that that is an ever, you know, ever continuing journey. Yep. Terry, I'd love to get your take on this one.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that it really comes down to communication. It's like communicating with each other because somebody could say something that is very offensive to me and they probably did not have the intention of of hurting my feelings or saying something wrong. But, you know, if if I'm affected and I'm offended, then it just warrants a conversation and just an acknowledgement that I matter enough that you can at least take the time to hear why it hurt my feelings or why I feel like that's offensive. And that doesn't even mean that you have to agree with me, but at least hear what I'm saying. And then. Let's, you know, acknowledge that this this hurt me or this was wrong to say to me. It might not be wrong to say to the white girl that's next to me, but it's wrong to say to me because of my experience, because of my walk. And this is why. And I would just hope that people would be open to hearing, just the conversation is all we really um, can ask of each other right now. Because again, we're all human. We all have different walks. We all have different paths and we can't get mad when we don't agree.
0: Terry, I really love the part that you said about sometimes things hit you differently because of your lived experience. And that is okay. So often there's an idea that like, But I did it to someone else and they weren't offended. So why are you? Why are you being so difficult? And so the way that I approach it when people ask me this question, and I get it a lot, and I know that often it's coming from a genuine place, but sometimes it's also coming from a hurt feelings place. And we have to recognize that sometimes that's why we're asking. And and it is actually about us and wanting someone to validate that we are a good person and that that person must be mistaken because if they really knew me, they would know that I'm not. And like when you start to hear that in your head, know that what you're seeking in that moment is actually not information, but justification and validation which is different than actually seeking an explanation in an education. And so what I tell people is I try to approach those moments with curiosity because there are so many things that may be blind spots for you. It's not bad to not know. It's bad to insist on continuing to not know. It's bad to decide I don't ever want to know because I don't like this information, right? So when someone approaches you with feedback like that, Really try to thank them for it, even though your spirit probably doesn't feel like thank you. Try that on for size and then just really try to see what can I do to learn more about why my intention and my impact were so different, because there can be a really powerful lesson there that can help you tremendously in your relationships going forward, which is what we all want to do. Yep, absolutely. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So... Now I kind of want to jump to the second one. So, second FAQ is what are some strategies and or tactics that you can use to influence your company to increase their commitment to hiring diverse talent or, you know, to make a commitment to hiring diverse talent if they don't have any such commitment. Shailen, can you talk a little bit about what has worked for you or just any ideas that you have for people who want to do that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that you know, you lead by example, right? So I serve on a board of a company and I'm actually building my own company. And so it's very challenging to basically tell, um, you know, the company that you're on a board for to say, look, diversify your board, diversify your executive management staff if you're not actually practicing what you preach, right? And so first and foremost, we got to be able to sort of show that we're actually doing the work and actually trying to basically build the diverse type of company that you want to build. And so in my own sense, like having joined the board, I was able to point out to this new organization that, look, you know, on my board, there are black women, there are Latinos, there are transgendered women. There are lots of diverse individuals who are top of class, right? Like these are not, you know, don't think of... it's very off-putting as a person of color, and I'm saying this right now that like people are like oh well you know you're just doing this to like you know diversify, but those candidates I'm like okay so who else gets to have you know somebody who's a CMO of Facebook's finance group to sit on their right, their startup company right like this is a quality candidate so and I just also happen to know that they're a black woman this is amazing you know and you know all these amazing women too amazing individual, you just actually have to look deep and you have to show by example that I'm doing. So it's just as easy for you to do it. I'm a startup. You're a big $1.8 billion corporation or you're, you know, a $3 billion corporation. Trust me, it's not going to be that hard to find the amazing people that you need to you know, bring into your company, but you have to be able to show, not just preach. Right. And I think that people are, driven by color. I mean, driven by numbers, you know, their corporations are driven by numbers and very fortunate for us, the reality, and we all know this, but people seem to feel uncomfortable is that when you have a diverse slate of executives um, leading the company, revenue is better straight up. And so how do you talk to your shareholders and say, yeah, honestly, I don't care about money. I don't care about this company raising any money or Making any money at all, but I just want to keep the status quo. And I think that oftentimes people don't do the work of researching, right? So they're told that doing diversity and hiring diverse is a good thing, but they don't actually do the work to research and understand why a diverse program of you know, amazing executives can actually help you bring profits into the company. And so I oftentimes feel like you know, sadly, part of our job as people of color is to actually sadly do the work for them. But I feel like once you p- start people on the path um, at a corporation, oftentimes they are able to sort of start seeing why that makes a difference in terms of the products that they build and the success they're going to have as part of the organization. So that's what I'm seeing out there.
0: I really agree with that. And and I love that you also just called out one of the most persistent and and problematic tropes when it comes to, you know, commitments that companies make to diverse hiring is that the instant you say that someone in the room will say, but make sure we don't lower the bar or, you know, we got to make sure those people are qualified. Uh, And I have never heard that said when we're talking about white candidates. I've never heard that said in general. But as soon as you talk about diversifying the workforce, someone will say, but don't lower the bar. And what that reveals to the people of color in the room is that you actually think that on average, people of color are probably less qualified. And so right off the bat, you're revealing something about your belief system that is troubling that you need to explore, not to mention that having worked at a ton of top companies... I have seen a ton of mediocre white men. So if we've decided we're going to stop hiring mediocre people, we would have had to start that policy a long time ago. A long time ago.
3: Absolutely. And this is incumbent upon allies and not on the people of color in that room to point out that this candidate is 100 times better than that white guy that's sitting in the table next to you. Literally. Double
0: qualified. Exactly so often. And yet these conversations are had. And I love those strategies too, about leading by example. And I know Jovian, you actually have done some of this work at a number of places in particular. I'm thinking about your work at TFA.
3: So can you
0: talk about sort of how you had those conversations and if there are any tips that people can take to have those conversations at their workplace?
1: Yeah. Well, first, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even just say first, but what I would really love to focus on in this moment is speaking to white folks or, or other folks who may have powered identities, depending on the context that they're in, to think about the seat that they'll sit in to move the work forward, right? So if you're living through your said commitment around equity, diversity, and inclusion, then in a moment, let's say, if you're sitting around the table and you're thinking about your hiring practices, it is incumbent upon you, should you choose to really be into the work, to say, And ask the questions that your skin, if we're speaking about race in particular, that that, like your racial identity affords you the privilege of asking without the kind of retribution that would happen to, say, a black woman or a queer person or a trans person. So, for instance, we're sitting around the table. We're making a really big decision on resource allocation. And if around the table we can notice it's pretty homogenous outside of the fact that we have maybe one or two people of color. A white ally in that moment may raise their hand and say something like, I just need to name the the facts of who's represented in our room right now and what voices we are missing. What opportunities are we missing right now because we do not have an insert, whatever identity that's not present at the table? Like what opportunities are we missing because we don't have the voice of a black woman at our table right now? What opportunity are we missing because we don't have the perspective of a queer person right now? And how does that move us further to or away from our desired goals? That's like, that is low effort, high impact work. You're asking the questions. High impact work. You're asking the question. So like, also when you think about hiring, and this is what a lot of companies, frankly, have to do. If they really want to get serious around diversifying their workforce, particularly around the lens of race and, of course, the intersection of race and gender. But you need to likely slow down your hiring process, which means that you've got to reorganize your priorities and money and other forms of white supremacy that play out in dominant culture have got to be less important. When you slow down your hiring process and you say, you know, we're not even going to get to the interview stage until we have a diverse pool of candidates to choose from you automatically are increasing the likelihood that a person of color will get to the final stages and therefore in the role. But if you do what you've always done for whatever reasons, you can insert all the reasons. We just really need someone. We're feeling so urgent right now. We're We've so busy. This,
0: oh my God. We're so
1: busy. And like, which if you were to examine all those things, they're likely tied to white supremacy culture in some other way too. But let's just stick to the resourcing, you know, your pool. If you slow down, and think about, all right, we really need to look differently about where we're finding our great folks to work here. You're going to have to examine policies and procedures and examine the relationships you have that help to bring in exceptional people of color. And we're everywhere.
3: I'm not even like, come on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting because I feel that there are people who absolutely want to be allies, but they're afraid because they feel that Well, who am I as a white man to speak about diversity? And my feedback is always that it's actually 100% incumbent upon you as a white man with privilege to speak up because you have the single least amount of things to lose in that room, right? That, you know, it's not just a work to diversify a company on the shoulders of, you know, people of color. It's that literally white allies have the single least amount of things to lose. And so for them to speak up and to basically take on that mantle of trying to look at and examining these processes that Jovian's talking about, which is absolutely 100% on point, is what they should be doing. And they should feel that they have the power and should be doing this versus feeling like I don't feel qualified to do it. And even down to my husband, like they're doing similar things about hiring and he's like, well, I feel that, you know, I'm the only white man who's talking about diversity and also it's like, that's why you should be doing it. Right. Is
1: Absolutely. That, this
3: is so visible to a white man that clearly there's a problem here and that you should step up and talk about diversifying and changing the system so that you have this, the opportunity to see the best candidates out there, not just the one that's the most apparently, you know, part of the system. Right. Absolutely.
0: So important, not to mention that I think your voice will often be championed as the white person who's asking for it, because you are viewed as an unbiased participant. You're like, well, if if I say it, it's, it's just because she wants to hire more people like her, because she has some friend that she wants to bring in, because she has some agenda of like Black people take over, right? These are the things that people think immediately, so that in a weird way, as a person of color, your voice becomes delegitimized in the conversation about bringing in more people of color, which is bananas when you think about it. But think about the the equity that a white person has in those conversations to say, like, I'm not saying it to get more money for me. I'm just saying it because I think that we would have a better business if we did this. I'm just saying it because I actually care about working at a diverse organization, and I prefer that. So I think that that is just such a powerful example. So sticking in the business arena actually for a minute. So you already mentioned Shailen some of the data around this, and you know this data exists in every single industry. And one of my frustrations actually has been that like diversity is the one business case that is forever on trial and never acquitted. It's like we have to keep running that running the data again and again and again and convincing people. And you know it as well, Terry, in entertainment that there is so much data that tells us who the audience is, how people consume, where fashion trends start, where music trends start, where popular culture begins. And yet we have to fight over every additional scrap and bring the receipts, bring the receipts, bring the receipts. So this question is really important to me. And I'm curious sort of what you guys think about it. Should we be putting more data and spending more time behind proving the diversity is good business argument? is that a good use of time or should we be focusing more on the moral argument and i'm curious terry about your point of view on this sort of as you know a, a black woman working in the industry
2: well i think honestly that they already know the data they already know the impact of our culture of our voices of our fashion of our style of our they already know but i think that it's just embedded in in their culture to find ways to empower our impact of 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 our influence by saying stuff like, well they don't sell overseas or you know our we want a general audience. I'm like, every time I hear general audience, I'm like, it drives me crazy. I'm like, what the hell? What general audience what? are you talking about?
0: Yeah. So many
1: code words for white.
2: Wow. Oh, my God. It, it, it's
0: it's so oh real, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> so coded. Mainstream as another one. Mainstream white. White. Right. Yeah. I another uh-huh. one. Gen pop. Yep. Whew. I mean, so come consider on. consider us VIP then. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So it's like it's just a spinning wheel and I mean you know Kamala it's like this has been going on in our business forever and it's always like okay we need to diversify how many years are you guys going to try to diversify why are we still saying that it's like it it's so overdone and overplayed and you know they've built so many networks on our back. I don't even want like, to get into all of that. The UPNs, and the CWs, and all of those networks that were built on Black shows backs, and then they get popular. The networks get popular, and then all those shows slide by the wayside. And now they're only doing general audience shows. It's nerve wracking, but. I still say because I know the power of media and I know the power of television, the power of film, we can't stop. So we keep the good fight. We keep telling our stories. We keep showing up behind the camera and in front of the camera, making opportunities for ourselves because we're passionate about it and because it's right and because it matters, because I have a Black six-year-old daughter and I need her to be able to turn on the television and see something that reflects and feeds her. So we keep going and we know the truth and they know the truth and it's like we just live. And I don't know if it's ever going to be fixed. I really don't know. But we just keep going. Right? Right.
0: We don't know what the answer is. I think if we knew we would have done it by now, right? Because it's like, you're constantly being asked to bring receipts and then you bring the receipts and it's still not enough. And so you go get some more and then you go get some more. One of the things that happens is that sometimes we feel like they know the data and there are very senior people that do not know the data because I've presented presented it to them. And they're like, I don't know. Really? Is that true? I've never seen that chart before. Where'd you get what's your source? Blah, blah. And you already know how the walls are going up. And so sometimes it is this weird combination of there are some people in very senior positions who actually maybe are not as qualified as we thought they were maybe are not keeping up with the trends in their industry, maybe actually don't know this data that need to be shown the data. But at the same time, there are also people who have been shown this data year after year after year after year. They always have some other reason why they haven't done it yet. And to your point, Terry, they're always trying. Jovian and and Shailen, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I just want to push here because here's the thing. We let folks in senior positions who are white get away with stuff when it comes to diversity that we wouldn't let them get away with when it comes to other things that are connected to their ROI and that things that their stakeholders truly care about, right? And so this idea that, oh, you've never seen that critical piece of data that is foundational to your business's success and your organization being a long-term, forward-facing, future-focused business, I actually cannot buy that. I can't buy the fact that a company that, you know, would IPO at said billions of dollars and that would like that they don't have any kind of insight or know the trends around where the US is going, where other key markets in EMEA are going. Like there's just I, I frankly will not actually allow that lie to permeate my spirit to detract me. Because here's one of the things we see oftentimes in like trainings around DEI stuff. White folks will ask questions that are rooted in fear, and they they would intellectualize as questions that are grounded in data, but they're just distraction strategies. It's like, I need more data to believe. I need more data. You don't need more data. You don't want to acknowledge the truth of the data that lives in the stories that are already being told. Yeah. And so that is, I would love to get people of color off the hook of doing continual research, writing more books to tell our stories when There are encyclopedias on top of encyclopedias and top of encyclopedias and top of our bodies that already have told the stories of our lived
3: experiences. And it's the fact that the data exists and continues to exist and they are told time and time again is that it goes back to sort of that question you asked, which is how do you build basically, you know, a a program within your corporation? And the reality is, is because that data is existing. 0.06% of all founders for startups out there are women of color, black women, 0.6%. And so just when I thought that basically we couldn't get any less money out of the billions of dollars that go out there for just purely white men, we just hit an even further low, right? So it's not that they don't know this because there are some really smart people in the entertainment industry and the you know VC industry. They know this data. They understand the data. It's that one, because to your point, Kamala, that it came from us. And so it's, of, it's not the right data. It's biased. It's biased. It's not the right data. Exactly. So, if it comes from a white person, a white man, then this data is actually true versus where it's coming, coming from us. This doesn't make any sense. But the only way you're going to have these things actually move forward is that every single person can't just be virtue signaling, saying that yeah, I really buy into diversity and I'm going to have these programs. And that diversity officer has so little power within your corporation to have make change.
1: Speak to it.
3: Right? That literally they don't have the capability to put into the KPI of every single person from the CEO down to like the system manager to the associate. Mm -hmm. To actually have not just ROI lines on revenue and returns, but like a diversity line. So if you did not hire and and mentor or nurture, you know, a diverse team, like you actually don't get your bonus yeah accountability listen yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and if there's Mm -hmm. been if we continue to see that on your team you are like your retention rates for people of color come on are outrageous there needs to be consequences like how many times can you fail in that one area and continue to get a pass
0: right come on And, and continue to be promoted and i mean I was asked the other day, like, what can I do as a leader to hold my team accountable? And what I said was that what are the tools that you generally use to hold your team accountable for their business results? Use those same ones. Wow. Same ones. Right? If they had set a sales target and they routinely missed it, you wouldn't be trying to figure out, oh, my God, what can I do? You would actually hold them accountable in their compensation, or you might fire them. So of course they don't believe you when you say that diversity is important, because when they fail in that, you don't hold them accountable, though you have many tools at your disposal. So I'm like, use the same tools that we already have in corporate America. Use those tools to incentivize, reward, and penalize for progress or lack thereof in D&I. Problem Mm -hmm. solved.
3: And they don't. They want to use the word quota, by the way. So because if it becomes part of the KPI, then they're like, oh well, you know, we don't want to impose quotas because, like, this is just the right thing to do because it's a moral thing to do. Therefore, it does not need to have quota tied to them. My feedback is always, look, you know, we know what's the moral thing to do, and we know what's the responsible, like, revenue-positive thing to do, and those two things are not mutually exclusive, right? When it comes to DNI issues. And so this is why that this is not, quote unquote, in this bucket and shouldn't be put in revenue. Like there is a straight out correlation for finances tied to this number. So you would not say that like this idea of distributing in a channel makes no sense because, well, you know, it's the right thing to do to distribute into voiceover, voice on demand, right? Or like video on demand. You would not say that. So of course, you would actually put this as part of the agenda for, you know, revenue generation.
0: Totally. I I mean, there's so many leaders looking for a whole new set of skills, a whole new set of tools, a whole new set of language, where it's like you can use the regular business language that you've been using, but decide that this is a business priority as well, because you believe that it has business-related impact. So now I want to turn to our next question. So I get asked this a lot, and I'll be honest, usually my first answer, either secretly or outwardly, is may I introduce you to Google, but I understand where they're coming from. And I'd love to hear your perspectives on what you guys think on this one. So what do you feel like are some of the best organizations that are tackling racial equity issues at scale? Who should I be supporting? Where should I start? And I'll just say that again, Google is your friend. But I want to also offer some vetted leads of organizations that this crew likes as an opportunity and a place to start. So one that comes to mind for me is the Equal Justice Institute. I think obviously what Brian Stevenson is doing is massively impactful and I think has lessons for how we could really think about changing systems as opposed to solely focusing on individual cases or individual anecdotes. I think we have to really look at the root causes and the root systems, and I think that they are an organization that is doing a really great job of that, as is Fair Fight, which we've seen what you're able to do when you look at the voting system as a system and think about what needs to be done to incentivize all of the citizens to actually be able to participate in the process, we can change the outcome of states that people probably thought was off the table forever. So those are two that are top of mind for me. Anyone else have one they want to share?
2: Fair Fight was definitely at the top of mind being here in Georgia, of course.
0: Yes.
1: Anyone else? I'm always sad when I, to be honest, when I can't just rattle off four or five. Oh, but, yes. You know, like this is the work that I do in so many ways. So, you know, I'm actively working in places to help shift this culture. Yeah. But the truth is, and I, I always speak from a place of authentic truth. There are pockets where this works well and where we see this happening and this, this deep belief and conviction, like I can create a diverse team that leads with equity in mind and like creates a sense of inclusion and belonging, like those happen and I see them happening on teams. Yeah, But at broader companies, like the, the, the Fortune 10 and 50 and 500 companies I work with, so many of them were not built with that in mind. And because it was an afterthought, the course correction takes a lot of start and stop, go move back. And because the system, like the larger ecosystem that supports white supremacy exists. And as Dr. Tatum would talk about us breathing in the smog of oppression and breathing it back out is like our reality every day. I find that new organizations will take great strides and then someone will all of a sudden look up and be like, wait a minute, we've gone too far. And the system will push back. Right. And that looks like something like a team or an organization um, has created like a really rigorous kind of learning and development series around diversity, equity, and inclusion or belonging. And everyone in the company is taking it and people are creating goals and metrics associated to it. And then a senior white leader goes through it and falls in their face in it, if you will, because they're learning too much. And so then they start the slow steps of trying to dismantle that program because they're embarrassed through their own learning. And so even though the data says that all these people are making shifts and there's changes that are happening, the program gets eroded. And then fast forward two years later, the organization, someone new has been hired because those old people who were doing that work have been fired. So someone new has been hired in D&I space and there's a request from the top or and from the bottom because someone else in the media, someone else black has had their life taken from them and it's been caught on camera. And so now there is a global uprising. So now that same company comes back to those employees and says, we're going to do another train. And the cycle goes back again. Mm -hmm. So um, what I will say is that organizations that I believe do this right and where we see progress and what we try to encourage people to do are things like ensure that people of color And folks who are the most historically marginalized at a societal level, like at a systemic level, that they have significant positions of power and change in your organization. And to Shailen's point, what that doesn't look like is we're just going to create a position for a chief diversity officer, a people officer. But that person has no real influence over goals and accountability and outcomes for our company. Right. So that's not what they do. They, They give people. Real positions of power to shift, and organizations that also get this right, uh, there is real funding towards this work. I almost will just like like to leave the point. I'm going to like make this my last point with it. There is real funding for this work, y'all. We are doing radical, life-changing work that is fundamentally trying to save humanity, right? Because if we we know this is heart-centered work, heart-centered, like we're honestly just trying to get people and Shailen, you talked about this, Terry, you talked about this before, too. Kamala, you've talked about this before too. Empathy is so necessary for us to see each other. Yes. And so when we're helping leaders to see each other better, to honor one another better, we do that not in spite of our skin, but because of our skin, because of our identities, all of that. And so DEI work helps people to be better fundamentally and certainly for the future, right? We think about like the change in demographics of our world. And so you've got to fund this work. You can't say we want, to allocate $10,000 for this work over the year or even for a day of training, that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, you know, so the last thing I'll say on this little soapbox is the next time you do outreach and you're trying to figure out, you know, like, okay, we're ready to invest in this. And you reach out to a number of DEI professionals and practitioners when they tell you their rate. And if it's significantly higher than what you anticipated, All you need to say is thank you so much. We will figure out how to get more money or we can't afford it right now, but I am going to figure out how to make this work instead of saying, wow, that's not what we thought or that's too much or anything else that would look to diminish the effort. If you have not realized that this work costs this much, then you've not really thought about how much a human life costs.
0: Okay. Listen, you just said so much. And the only things that I want to double click on are there are far too many people who have the title chief diversity officer and don't have a budget. I don't know how you could begin to do the work when they have to go around for every idea that they have and like basically pass the collection plate and try to convince other business leaders to help them fund the programs that they thought they were hired to create and to make the change. Secondly, if you look at any C-suite, the lowest paid C-suite member is almost always going to be the chief diversity officer. So we don't value the programming and we don't value the executive. And both of those things, it's like, I know everything I need to know about your commitment to DEI, not by what you say in the town hall, not by the company-wide emails that you send, not by how many times you changed your profile picture on Instagram Black or said Black Lives Matter. I know your true commitment by what you're willing to spend on it. If it is not worth spending on, then you're communicating to your entire workforce that it is not worth it's not doing. not worth doing. Yeah. That's that Money that's it. and time. And so therefore they're doing it optionally. Yep. I love these answers, ladies. Shailen, is there
3: anything you want to add? It has to be the money. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what very much frustrates me about all of this is that we know the work needs to be done. There is way too much virtue signaling out there. I am so exhausted by this that like, literally I want to slap somebody around when they tell me that they've marched. <laughs> right. My question is always that, here's a question for you. When was the last time you wrote a check that actually paid for a company um, funded by a Black woman? When was the last time that you bought something from a Black-owned business? Because that money is actually, we can all live on excellent intentions, but I can't live on that. Nobody lives on that, right? In order to diversify and to to proliferate this business, you, you have to invest. And so this is why I spend a lot of time thinking that if you, like this guy, his name is Alejandro. Alejandro, he is sort of blanking on his last name right now. My apologies. Guerrero, sorry, Guerrero, he's actually the, one of the managing partners of Act One Ventures. And so as a person of color, he did exactly what I sort of so admire and thought that needed to happen in the venture world, which is stop talking about it, sign on a dotted line. So he came up with this idea of the diversity clause. And literally, my biggest thing is that like, that's a first step, right? Getting people to say that if this clause doesn't sit on a term sheet, then we're gonna walk. And that's, that's it, Charlene. Millions and millions of dollars on a table that you're gonna walk away from from this top running business. If this isn't gonna happen, and if you're an ally and you're a white founder and you don't have this diversity clause on your term sheet, you need to be pressuring your universities who has foundations. You know, we all went to great universities. We need to pressure those foundations and say, like, your my tuition went to pay for your great university and that that money needs to be basically be accounted for and so that means that check needs to basically go to an organization that gives a a crap about these issues and so no more writing checks to vcs who don't have a black woman on staff that's not an investment officer right Right. none of that business can happen anymore don't just interview us for those positions and say that oh well look you know we interviewed all these candidates and just so happens that we didn't hire that Black woman or that Latina. Every time. But we interviewed. Co- coincidentally, you. every time. Coincidentally. yeah. every single time. There's a bunch of candidates that flow through, but none gets hired. Mm-hmm. We know that's an impossibility based on the type of candidates that flow through that these people would not be hired, right? We've seen plenty of mediocre white men become VCs that don't deserve that job. So you're telling me that Latina, that Black woman, that Asian woman, no, Native American woman didn't? Qualify for that job? I'm sorry, who went to Harvard? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was that black woman there. You know
0: what's so crazy, Shailen, is that when it comes to hiring, there really is, whether articulated or not, just a fundamental belief that a lot of white leaders have that people of color are just less qualified. So a lot of times, even the ones who are like, I am in favor of the change default to, but we've got to train them up. So I'm I'm starting a kindergarten program because the problem is that they're not ready now, but in 20 years, we might have them if we just, and I'm like, yes to your pipeline plan, but also what about the people who are qualified now? Not to mention when you get in the right conversation and groove with some of these people, they will tell you about the times when they were not qualified yet and were given an opportunity. That's right when they actually were not ready be- because is- isn't that life isn't that how we progress there is always a time when you're like there's the time before you've done it and the time after so if in every job you're like i need them to have done it before there's no way that's how you came up because there had to be some point at which you hadn't done it and and someone took a shot on you and if you think about it in your career the only people that you've taken first time shots on are people that look like you then that's that's the problem right there. So I I want to go to our next questions. Frequent ally question number five. As a leader or a colleague, how do I or should I acknowledge the inherent challenges that my Black teammates may face in our predominantly white company or on our predominantly white team? Or just by being the only Black person, on a team like this who has to deal with the fact that anti-Blackness is rampant around them and things are happening outside of work that may be impacting them. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or singled out, but I do want to make them feel seen. So how do I do that in a way that isn't off-putting? Jovian, do you have a thought here?
1: This is so tough. That's a great... It is. Um, It is because... Person. would ask that. exactly Terry and so to the person who I deeply believe would ask that I like I see their heart in the attempt to make a connection with someone and so it's with that same thinking and that same like spirit of generosity that I invite the person to sit in the seat of thinking to yourself, okay, well, how do I on the front end build relationships with people who have a different lived experience than I do So when tragedy strikes, or when they're in a moment of grief. And it may not even be a racial reckoning that globally everyone's understanding. It could just be they lost their grandmother or you know anything else. Like, think about how do you build genuine connections with other human beings and seek to do that more often. And so in a moment like this, when we as black folks or folks who are identify as Asian American or just people who have lived experiences that right now specifically in America, can recognize our skin as being targeted for violent acts. So when moments like this arise, you then can on that team and in a team meeting acknowledge from your true place of being that you recognize that there are people who are on attack and it does not sit well in your spirit. It is not something that you support and that you as an individual speak for yourself. I think it's always important that we lead through the group agreement of like speaking from I. Like you talk about what you believe, talk about your values. And then if, because you've built a strong enough relationship with the person of color that you may, or specifically, I think this person is talking about someone black, but like that black person, I would say, invite them to consider sharing if they want to or not. I think you give people the option and you acknowledge that the option is there and there is literally no pressure. That's how, that's what I would appreciate and I have appreciated it in the past. But I also want to say that Black people aren't a monolith. I know no one, no other group of color is, like we're not, we're not all the same. And so how we want to be responded to or invited in in those moments, it really depends on so many different factors. So I guess like the theme of my message is be honest, speak from the heart and worry about getting it right over time instead of like being right one time in a
0: moment. That's so good because I think, And what you said is making the investment upfront to get to know people will help you to figure out what they need in the moment. There is like, while we always understand someone's intention when they reach out in, in, in those moments, if we have never spoken, if we have never had a relationship or any sort of deep conversation, you coming to me and saying, Kamala, I noticed that like, you know, I know there's a lot happening out in the world and like you're black. So I just want to make sure that like, you're okay. I don't actually know what to say in that moment. We don't have intimacy. I see that you are trying to create some, but you're trying to create it so quickly that emotionally I can't get there. and And so you end up just saying like, thanks, but like, no one ended up feeling good at the end of that exchange, right? So it's like you went in with your desire to console and realized there was no one there to console. And so you left not feeling great. I left not feeling great when maybe if you had been invested in building a relationship the whole time, then you could have shown up. And I think like, just to go a little bit further, let's say you are a manager on a team and a new person of color joins your team and you notice that they are the only person of color or one of very few. I think it's really admirable to be thinking about how do you create a safe space for them? So thank you for doing that and the way to do it Is, I don't think, is on day one to say all the things that you're thinking because of all the books that you read this year. And you're just like, I know, I know, I know. And I just want to tell you all the things that I know. That's too much for me. I want to be welcomed onto the team, right? I want you to be attuned to how maybe dynamics in meetings are different from me. I want you to, like, don't pull me aside after and tell me I noticed this person was interrupting you. Like, say it in the meeting. Hey, I want to hear what Kamala has to say, actually. That would be a great way to allow me to feel seen without feeling pressured to sort of figure out how I respond to an overwhelming display of empathy that is devoid of relationship to support it. Uh, Does that make sense? Because I don't want to discourage people from feeling things, but I want them to channel it in ways where it can be received in the spirit with which it's offered.
1: Yeah, this is it totally makes sense. And it's also really, really hard. Because as I was really just sitting in the seat and taking in what you're saying, I'm also processing, you know, from my, my point of view recently, how I've wanted to show up for specifically last year, I'll say when they're is still happening, but like the rash of killings of our trans brothers and sisters and knowing I don't identify as trans, like identify as a cisgender black woman and understand the privilege that I carry in my body because of that in some ways. Yet, of course, the intersection of my identities does create oppression that I experience. And thinking what I wanted to do so many times when I would even just see on the internet or like the few times, like we were out at a park and I may have seen someone who I knew identified as trans, like my heart pounded with, I want them to know I see them and I love them. I don't know them, but like my human spirit wants them to, to just know they're not by themselves. And like, I, I, I hope I never lose that part of myself that is so, that's like the true essence of who Jovian is and like has always been that way. And that's young Jovian. And I do believe all of us as humans from like the time that we were born, like Terry thinking about your six-year-old, Shailen, your children, Langston, you know, I'm thinking about, we want them to have that kind of reckless love for other humans. And if they feel like one of their friends or somebody even that they don't know is hurting or being attacked, that they can go and just say, I see you. I don't have it all together, but like, I see you. And I think what I've experienced from white folks that stumble through this or, as we say, like sometimes step in it, is that they see like when it doesn't land well with me, I can tell at first they were really trying and their heart was so there. And then they got so caught up in trying to protect themselves that they lost trying to protect me in it. so the words changed or if it didn't seem like I was receiving it real well right away their energy flipped so I think it's like this lesson of at least for me in this moment I'm feeling this lesson of keep your heart centered and just know you've got to persist anyway
0: 100 it, it, yeah it's not about getting it right every time to your point it's about staying centered go ahead terry
2: i also think that as jovian said like all of us are different i'm i'm really i feel like i'm more like her like i'm really i'm really loving even if i i don't know you yet <laughs> you know i'm so very loving and you know i try to create a space for you if i first meet you i always try to create a space where you feel that you feel like somebody sees you right, and and I have other friends that are more standoffish. they don't really you know not that they mean anything, but they're that's just their personality. they're just not as immediately loving, giving as I am, and we have these discussions all the time about, oh, Terry, you just like we had a discussion about if we can still make friends right now in our fifties, and I I can still make new friends, and they were like, no, that's ridiculous, but Like I wanna when I see a black woman or a woman of color, when I see them, I always make sure I look them in the eye and at least say hi or give them a smile, just letting them know I see you. I see you because they've probably gone through their day doing with I don't know what happened to them or dealing with. And so I would I would appreciate if I was the one in the room. Somebody at least attempting to make communication, make a connection with me, even if they're stumbling through it, because I get that too. I get that too. And I think it just goes back to us allowing each other a little bit of grace and a little it's at this time just a little bit of grace and, a, and just communicating more and having empathy for each other even if we don't agree or have the same type of lives or think the same things i still want to offer you grace because just as a human being i see you i want to be a source of love and light no matter who steps in front of me now if they're full of darkness they won't they won't stay around for my light too long because they it just doesn't match, and I get that too. And I'm good with being standoffish, but I think initially, like I would love someone at least attempting, genuinely to make a safe space or a connection with me, even if they're fumbling through it.
0: I love that, and, and I totally agree. All right, our last one. So here's one that I hear variations of a lot. So I'm I'm going to ask the question in the voice of the person who's seeking the information. So I've heard that non-Black people need to do the work when it comes to attacking racism and that we shouldn't put the burden on Black people or people of color to solve it. But I've also heard that we should not be building movements for Black lives without Black people. So what's the line? How do I navigate that? How do I make sure that my commitment to not putting the labor on Black people, for instance, doesn't then become me trying to be a white savior or me going so far that I've actually excluded the people that I'm supposed to be advocating for? Anyone can start here who, who feels called to sort of share how they navigate or, or would advise someone on navigating that, that tightrope.
3: Wow, I can definitely tell you this: that as an Asian person, we live in a twilight world of not being black or being white. And so, very often, our white sisters will say that you know, look, I, this is what we're doing, you know, and we're so we're so against what's you know, the violence against you know black people that this is what we're going to do. We're going to sign a petition. And my feedback to them is always like, have you spoken to a person of color about this yet? Like you have done done the work, like you've actually built relationships. I mean, we had that discussion just now, which is, you know, you're gonna jump in and be the savior of people. Well, have you asked a friend that you've made, you know, the, the 10 friends or the 60 friends of, you know, black friends that you have and said, Hey, so I wanna help. What's the best way to help? Not that you feel like you have the answer, right? and then also genuinely not feel offended when they tell you something that contradicts what you've built right because that whole experience of feeling hurt because what you're being told that you're trying to work on is absolutely not helpful and you be- become defensive and then you start accusing people of not giving giving a shit sorry about doing you know work to help others that is the first step because to your point like how do you build a great movement for you know helping others if you don't have friends that you can ask these questions to that you're intimate enough with that you can ask these questions in a direct way to ensure that you can hear their answers to you without feeling butthurt all the time that like, oh they don't agree with me. And what I'm thinking isn't quite the right direction. And take that and be able to then reflect and, and sort of build something together. And I think that's what I'm seeing so much of is that there's such a willingness to theoretically want to help without actually building relationships with people and asking the right questions and not be offended when people tell you that it's not the right thing. And so.
0: That's so good because it, it happens so often where if you only want to help in the way that you think is helpful and you are not open to feedback, there's a problem with the movement that you're building. And, you know, b- because I talk about race and racism a lot, I get a lot of these questions and and you know, people asking for my opinion, but I can always tell two things right away. I can always tell when I'm the sixth black person that they're asking because they didn't like the answer of the first five black people and they're hoping to find someone that's gonna say what they already plan to do is the right thing to do. We always know. And secondly, I always know within the span of the conversation, if this person actually plans to incorporate any of the things that I said, or if they're just like, okay, thank you. And to me, that's the line, right? Because if you are really trying to build a movement of solidarity, a movement of partnership to be an ally for marginalized people, but their opinions about what would be useful are of no interest to you then like revisit your first commitment. Like something's not adding up, right? Like what's going on here? Like I had a conversation with someone and you know, this is one conversation, but I've seen shades of it a bunch of times where someone will say, going back to our first question, someone said something I did was racist, but I asked my friends and they said that it wasn't. And you're like, is your friend a black person? No, I asked my white friend, but we both agreed. So you and your white friend decided that this wasn't racist and the person of color's opinion was immediately delegitimized, right? Like the person who would have the expertise was actually not who you consulted. And, and I think this happens a lot when like, especially in this moment where there's such heightened feelings around being a part of a movement of allyship and anti-racism and wanting to go fast going fast by yourself with you and your community without including any of the people that you're trying to go fast for is not a recipe for success per se. I don't know if anyone else has a thought. Yeah.
1: Isn't there a proverb around that or some tale um, (laughs) where it's like, go fast and alone. You won't go far, but go slow and together you'll go the distance or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And while I may have butchered that exact quote, the the sentiment of it is so real. I mean, we look at movements of the past, think about like the labor movement and Dolores Huerta, you think about the civil rights movement and obviously all the leaders who, who played a huge part in moving us forward there. You think about the women's right to vote and the women's suffrage movement, all of that, like those were done with the people who were most directly affected by the inequity as leaders. But the whole movement was built across coalitions, right? Like there were different people who did join and found their way to play a part, right? Different abolitionists who would open their home, right? What I invite people to always do is think about how do you use your seat? So your skills, your resources, your tools, your lived experience, your voice, your perspective to move the work forward. It's not a competition. It's like an invitation to step into the ring. Like Everybody's got to be a part of it who believes in the beloved community, who believes like there is a possibility for us to honor the planet that we're on and all honor each other on it, (laughs) you know, like each other who are here, you know? So I deeply believe like we have to do it in coalitions, but to the point. That both of you all have made, Chylin and Kamala, this we don't have space for ego when we're trying to corrupt a system that holds us oppressed. Like won't well, like this is not a one person mission. Ain't no Superman, no superwoman out here. Like, people have got to get involved. So, but for white folks specifically, you can always tell if you're really ready for this consistently if you are uncomfortable on the daily, because the world is built for your comfort. That's an easy barometer for you to know if shit's still the same, frankly. Like if you're still feeling, you know, easy, breezy, beautiful color girl, color boy, color person. Well, then that means you haven't done today, like Shailen has, a beautiful checklist of just saying Have I, that, that like keeps her on purpose. Have I advanced the work and the support
3: of people of color today? And what's the other one you've got? Oh, so for me, it's about um, investing. Have I done like anything to sort of advance that piece of it? Because that's a big thing for me right now. But I also believe that if you haven't been slapped down a few times for speaking up, even if you spoke wrong and you can't get back up and try again because you felt like it got slapped down by people of color and you're like, I'm, I'm not going to ever talk again and I'm not going to speak up again, then you're not doing the work either, right? So afraid to speak up because you were corrected or you were given advice that this is not the right thing to do doesn't mean that you no longer do the work you shut up and then you don't fight again right that's not good proper allyship at all
1: no it's not and frankly when that happens to you you could start to feel like instead of feeling like dang i now gotta sit out you could start to feel like well now i know how a black woman feels in this meeting i know how this black man feels when they're walking like yes oh let me get more stripes. I need to, I got to get back in the ring. That is your invitation
2: to keep going. Mm. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Period.
0: So, so good. I mean, I just love it so much. Like I was reading Austin Channing Brown's letter or essay a couple of weeks ago about when people ask her, what do I do if I'm not speaking up because I'm afraid or I have fear? And she broke it down so masterfully. And one of the things that she said echoes what you said, Jovian, which is the reason why you have fear around this is because you know that there actually are repercussions for speaking up, for advancing racial justice, because you have seen those repercussions hit people of color who've done it. So let's acknowledge that you actually are afraid for a reason and you have decided that maintaining that comfort is more important to you than advancing the cause that you're telling everyone that, that you're committed to, right? And, and so when are you really willing to show up and do the work? Because when we talk about sacrifice, sometimes people are like, so you want me to quit my job? It's like, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, do, do, do you deserve the job? I, only you can say, but I do <laughs> want you to think about, is there anything that you'd be willing to give up? Is there anything you've ever wagered? has there ever been a moment when you risked the ridicule of your colleagues to point out the fact that once again, you guys are in an all white meeting because I always have to be the one to point that out. And it's, if it's uncomfortable for you, it's 10 times more uncomfortable for me because they think I'm just saying it because I'm a black person. They don't read it as like, I'm just reporting the news. Like it's literally just the weather. Like it's just, that's it. And like. I feel really proud of saying that I do start these conversations in the business meetings that I'm in. And I have gotten the feedback that, like, you're making people uncomfortable, but that's what we're supposed to do. I'm not going to rubber stamp the agenda, right? Like, I have to say that if, if we're here to do inclusive work, I don't know how I can do inclusive work in a room of only white people. It's just, it literally is not possible. And what's interesting is that they say to you,
1: you're making, like, you'll get exact feedback. Mm. You're making people uncomfortable. Yep. But how many times do you have to say, everyone else is making me uncomfortable? I have been when, uncomfortable the whole time. The whole time. When is it ever their priority to make you comfortable? Mm. Oh, when yes. to that guy who's like, should I quit my job? Well, maybe you don't quit in this moment. But what I do wonder is, have you thought about your succession plan? Mm. have you built your pool of talent and does that. that pool look like you, or does it look like us on mm. this, in this conversation right now? Like
0: so true. So true. Why folks want to go to
1: sometimes these extremes listen, when they don't th- th- do... to, to present
0: you with something that of course you're not going to say yes to so that they can decide, well, there's nothing that can be done. Then <laughs> there it is. Distraction strategy. Right. Yep. And it's like, yeah. instead, why are you trying to run a marathon when
1: you literally can't go 10 blocks? But you mm. could if you actually just started walking. But you, you like this this grandiose idea, we got to eradicate it by like, oh, the, the system is built by people. So like we individuals have to collectively make change that will shift the system. But there's got to be some commitments that white folks have got to be doing. And it starts with that stuff, like the localized, immediate, personal stuff
3: mm-hmm. that we forfeit. Yeah, it's disingenuous for him to say, like, should I quit my job? Okay well so no one's asking you to like not feed your children, but mm-hmm. you know if you're a white man, board positions will come five ten to your white women you know you get offered p- board positions way more often so is it less comfortable of course you want another board position it's you know great opportunity it gives you money you, you know, only spend a few hours it's awesome so it is uncomfortable for you to say that you know if I turned this one down and actually nominated a a black woman to this role, two more will come my way, but this can open a door for two more to come to her. Or this panel speaking opportunity, I'll get 10 more invitations, but I can step down from this one and give it to a woman of color to actually speak because I know that there are going to be more. And that for me to get 10, or I can share half of them with a person of color is, you know. The right thing to do, and yes, it takes away from me personally, and yes, it makes me uncomfortable, and yes, potentially it's a, a little bit more financially impactful, or you just don't want to give up anything because you don't want to change the system.
0: Hundred percent. It's like you know, whenever people say that it's so overwhelming, I just you know remind them that just because you can't do everything, it doesn't free you to do nothing. You 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 can't just say that like, well, I can't fix the whole system, therefore I'm not going to do anything. That doesn't make sense. That's like saying, Well, I can't be skinny tomorrow, therefore, like I'm not even gonna do a single push-up today. You wouldn't say that. You would know that it's a journey, right? Yet or here, you would say
1: that when you're not serious about it, right? Not, right. when you're avoiding listen, it. Like, you're, listen, because I've
0: said that. You're right, you're <laughs> right. I know I'm gonna say it right now.
2: I have said that.
1: Actually, I haven't you're said push right. but I've been like, well, it ain't gonna make a difference. So I'm definitely gonna have that brownie. That's what I've yes.
0: said.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: That's but right. I knew. I knew what I was doing. Were you at the drive-through with me today when I negotiated with myself that, like, I did need those fries? Were Listen, you fil Where were you? I need to know. <laughs> Listen, my, my. Some, sometimes I go to McDonald's because I have a child now, and I'm really mad that he's reintroduced me to the fact that McDonald's is a restaurant that i have <laughs> not patronized fries for a minute. Canada listen, and, and I was like, I didn't need to remember that. But you're right. You, you say what you need to say to yourself, but it truly is revealing your values. If your value is change, then you will find a way. If your value is like only as much change as doesn't require any change from me, then like, then that is your value articulated as such. That, that's a post that I've not seen. I'm in favor of black lives as long as it doesn't change my white life. But some people who are posting black lives matter, that's actually what they mean. Like up to here and no further. Then like, we need to talk about that. Well, I don't think we can say it any better than that. So I'm gonna thank you ladies so much for helping us tackle what I think were some pretty hard questions. I love these. And I feel like the wisdom that you shared is amazing. And I just want to thank everyone that is listening and who's been with us all season, or maybe this is the first time that you've tuned in. Together, you all have made this dream of mine really come true. I love talking about this stuff with you. And I love unpacking what we can all do together because my hope for a brighter future does rest in individual action. So thank you guys for taking this journey with me. And before we wrap up, I just want to take a second to use my platform to speak out against anti-Asian violence and bias that we've seen spiking in recent months. Anti-racism is not a selective activity. Anti-racism is inclusive of believing in the equity, dignity, and integrity of all groups of people, regardless of race. So absolutely, as a Black woman, I am more than happy to lend my voice. To the calls and to the cause. So, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us and for making it this far. As always, I'm Kamala Avila Salmon, and you can follow me on social media at The Real KS1. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to rate us to help more people find the show. From woke to work was produced by me, Kamala Avila Salmon, in partnership with Julian Lewis and T.J. Bonaventura at Studio Pod. Edits were made by Nota Lab. Our amazing artwork was designed by Tommy Gomez. And this fire track I'm speaking on was produced by Dave Contrap. Until next time.